0: More Questions Than Answers with Julie Panessi, brought to you by the Democracy Fund. Well, hi everybody, Julie here. I'm really happy today because I'm talking with someone that I have worked with for a while now. Bonnie, I don't know, how long have we known each other, a year and a half or something like that? I think we
1: met in person at an event, an outdoor event in Fergus. I think we had talked... Um, before that. And that would have been, it was summer, summer, was it last year or the year before? It's a bit of a blur now. But but you know what struck
0: me so much about um, when I met you in person is that I think often, you know, scientists, mathematicians have a reputation for being kind of dry regurgitators of data. And you are so passionate about everything that you say and and there's always it always feels to me like a story you know and you're very good at explaining why some bit of data or information should matter to our life on a tuesday morning right sure. so i i really appreciate that about you and just to give people a little set you aren't just my friend you have some other things going on
1: too. <laughs> oh i think it's good to be your friend though julie i'm happy to be your friend
0: <laughs> well they're in short supply these days sometimes so <laughs> Um, but it's just to give got good a little, ones
1: now. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Per- the... around. <laughs>
0: that's right. So to give everybody a little sense of your background, you are a professor from the University of Guelph. And what department are you in, Bonnie?
1: I'm in pathobiology and okay, i've been there now for mm, 31 years
0: amazing yeah. and i know you on your on the like your profile on the department website it says you specialize in the genetic regulation of the immune system which is so interesting you're a governor general's innovation awards recipient mm-hmm. you're inventor of the high immune response technology which is used to identify animals with naturally optimized immune responses mm-hmm. as a philosopher i had to read that because i wasn't going to remember all those words in the right yeah, order um, okay. but the reason why you know I want to chat with you today is is to talk about natural immunity and we're going to get to that but can I ask you to start with more of an ethical question do you think that we have a crisis of medical freedom in Canada right now
1: yeah that's an easy one for me <laughs> we definitely do and you know we're not done with it no Not at all. Not until everyone's freedom to speak is restored, right? And this is part of the problem is that on mainstream news, only one narrative has been allowed. And if that wasn't the case, you and I probably wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation today because it would be on CBC or you know, major platforms, but because only one narrative has been allowed sort of one official narrative, what happens is the truth, or alternate points of view, they can't actually be pushed down, they're going to come up here, there, and everywhere. And so now we have people like yourself, you know, doing these interviews, and, and, you know, There's many, many people doing interviews, platforms, Brett Weinstein, and just Joe Rogan, and and on and on, What's Up Canada with Wayne Peters. Because the people, they want a balanced perspective, so that they can make their own wise choices. And so people who have a different point of view, scientists who have a different point of view, that information is popping up all over the place. So... That's indicative of a problem. And when we have our medical professionals, some very good Canadian doctors that have been practicing medicine for decades now because they dared to give ivermectin or fluoxamine or their choice with their patient, they have been severely reprimanded that is a problem whereas another physician recently in toronto who chose to vaccinate young children and babies before the approval has not been reprimanded and that story really has not been highlighted so i think it's simple we have a problem because we need and historically in canada you know we've been allowed to have all points of view do a 360 on a problem and then let people make their own wise choices but that to me is a on alarm bell right there that that was number
0: Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I remember even in newspapers or there being shows in the evening where there would be debates between people. I mean, not just just at election time, but there'd be debates over different points, pros and cons on a particular issue, on taxation, on on gas price, whatever it was. Where do you think we would be, I'm kind of asking you to hypothesize for a minute, but where do you think we would be right now if we hadn't seen that kind of media blackout? in Canada, so Where people you, think, order, I mean, yeah. you know, if you turned on global CTV, whatever, and, and mm-hmm. they said, well, some scientists are saying this, some are saying that.
1: I think you would have had a much happier society, right? Because when people are allowed to make their own free choices with information that's given, they kind of can settle on that. But what's happened is the way this has been handled, it's created derision. When people lose their jobs and their ability to get an education in this country, which has happened because they will not follow a mandate or give out their personal medical information, this creates a crisis and a big stir. And so if it had been more balanced, allow people as we have in the past to make their own free medical choices, I think our society would be much happier. And I mean, we're going to talk about naturally acquired immunity. I'm sure because that that would have solved some of this. It's
0: this so problem. interesting, isn't it? When we talk, we we're starting to hear about politicizing science and politicizing medicine, right? And seems to me like what what that what happens when you do that is you take science and medicine out of their lanes, out of their natural lanes. Yeah. Yep. Right.
1: And the and the reason, I mean, I can remember being in a faculty meeting. Um, and basically being told, well, don't give that information on naturally acquired immunity. Don't we talk delete. like that. No, this would have been last year. Okay. Um, and the reason they gave, this was another colleague of mine, is because we're in a public health crisis. We have to be all speak of one voice. We have to put forward um, this single song for everyone to sing. And I... I said, No, I don't think that's the best idea, but that's the rationale behind it. Um, But it's not a good one in my mind, because it assumes that we know better. One narrative is going to be sufficient for, Mm -hmm. for everyone to push, and I just don't agree with that philosophy.
0: I think that's so interesting to me, this idea that in crisis we need uniformity that diversity is a threat in some way. And we could probably talk about that for a while, but Mm -hmm. so, can you tell us what natural immunity is? Because we hear about immunity a lot, Right. right? We hear about, you know, for the, on the pro side of the COVID vaccines we hear, and then prior to the COVID vaccines, when people took maybe traditional or sterilizing vaccines, we hear you take the vaccine, you become immune, you're good, you can do anything right
1: so what do we mean when we say <laughs> that's that didn't same. happen but yeah <laughs> um, okay so, let, I can explain <laughs> that I can explain that and I'm going to break it down a bit different than some people do because as an immunologist there's some nuances to that word so natural immunity you hear every everyone using that term But there's actually a term, natural immunity and naturally acquired immunity. And those two things are not actually the same. And this has created some problems. So people like Gert Vandenbosch, who many people have been listening to, he's a DVM, PhD, very senior, well-respected immunologist. And he's speaking a lot about natural immunity. And what he means by that are a series of innate host defense mechanisms that tend not to have immunological memory and certain kinds of antibody known as natural antibody, which kind of everyone has and aren't specific to a particular pathogen. Now,
0: let's just pause there for a minute. So what does that mean? Does that mean that natural immunity refers only to what you're born with?
1: Well, there we go into something. The immune system is quite a nuanced system. So you're born with all the genes that you need to make natural immunity or innate host defense and acquired immunity. But really, until you're exposed to environmental signals these things don't turn on. And I'm gonna give you a great example. And it really was brought home to me when I was a student training in immunology, because we were working with piglets. And when those piglets were born, if we took them and we put them in isolators and they, so they were born right into an isolator and they were never given their mom's colostrum, their immune system never developed at all. And you could look at the lymphoid organs and essentially they're stripped clean. But as soon as you put that piglet now out into its normal environment where it's going to experience different signals, um, some less dangerous than others, you know, foods, all of that, the immune system, all those genes, they turn on. And so, you know, so you're born with the potential, right? and everyone's potential to make an immune response is not equal either. That's a whole genetic thing. But yes, you have that. It's it's innate, that part of the immune system. And what usually is meant by that is it doesn't have particular memory. It's very broad. And the thing about it is it can act almost instantaneously when it sees an a foreign object or pathogen or molecule, whereas the adaptive side of the immune system, it's there when the innate host defense mechanisms can't contain what they've encountered, and then they pass over with signals to the acquired host defense mechanisms—the antibody, the T cells. Mm-hmm. The thing that's unique about that, is this is the naturally acquired immunity that we hear people talking about. Is that it has memory and in some times lifelong memory, as is in the case with certain kinds of vaccines, right? Polio, those kinds of things.
0: Well, okay, this is so interesting to me. I'm glad you brought up some of these more traditional vaccines because I think some people will say, quite reasonably, people who have listened to you and Dr. Bridal and and many of the other experts will say, okay, why are we, why? Is it not the case that when we talk about measles, mumps, rubella, polio, we seem to be more okay with vaccine induced immunity with respect to those uh, diseases? But when it comes to COVID, we're saying, well, hold on, it would have been, we're, we're ca- actually causing harm by taking the set of COVID inoculations, and that we would have been better off to rely on natural immunity. What, what's the difference? Is there a double standard there?
1: No, I don't think so. But again, I think it's a little bit complicated. So with that list that you mentioned, polio, those kind of things, you know, tetanus, in most individuals, you're going to get very long lasting immunity. And those vaccines were traditional in nature. And the risk of severe harm mm-hmm. is high those are kind from of the, the bacteria from the disease mm-hmm. right and the prevalence is high now if you switch to COVID, i think the problems came in that oh what did you know warp speed i think that was the term warp speed development and using technologies which had not been used in traditional vaccines mm-hmm. and heading trying to head off these coronaviruses. And in general, we have not been successful at developing vaccines for for that and not doing age stratification because we knew very, very early on that there were certain high risk groups and others were not at risk. for, For example, kids really for the most part. So you see, it's not a double standard. That standard should be applied to every single time so these diseases are
0: different in kind and the vaccines are different, different in kind with so a whole new. So this whole yep. idea that when we see the chapter of the narrative that says something like, well, you've been giving your kids vaccines forever. What's yeah. the big deal? It's just a, a, it's, we're conflating things that belong
1: in different categories. Is that fair to say? Uh, absolutely. And, you know, when you start using, you know, DNA and RNA anytime. Right. You should be careful. And that technology had been used more for cancer therapy. It was It's gene therapy, right? And we use that gene therapy, those concepts, to quickly make a vaccine. And now we're seeing some of the ramifications of that coming coming forward. I'm, and we could talk about the Pfizer documents, which are now coming out every month. And I'm sure you've had guests discuss that ad nauseum. But that... Should, we should have looked at that before we ever went about vaccinating billions of people because in the one tranche of data that was released, there was nine pages of adverse reactions that should have been on the radar. Every physician in every country should have been given that ahead of time and looking for it. Instead, when you're told, The narrative says there's nothing to worry about. Don't look for anything. You're not going to look for anything. Someone comes in for myocarditis, you're not going to look or assume Mm -hmm. that that has anything to do with the vaccines, when in fact that was on the list and every physician should have been looking for it. So lots of, lots of mistakes, I think, were made.
0: And it's really interesting from a moral psychological point of view we might think that the more someone hears a scary term like myocarditis, the more likely they are to become alarmed and alert to it, but actually often the opposite is true because you become desensitized and if you don't have that system of support or other people in your vicinity or in the groups that matter to you, like your governing medical bodies, for example, or the media or the government or whatever it is, if, if no one else is picking up on it, after a while, you hear
1: myocarditis, guess that's not a big deal moving on. Right. And that was one of the other things they, they said, oh, they have fought, you know, the powers that be. I mean, this has been very strange when you think about it, because first of all, they denied any possible myocarditis pericarditis thrombocytopenia no no it can't possibly be and then... true although people many people were sounding a cautionary alarm and then it became oh yeah i guess myocarditis is an issue um oh but it's only in young males is which is another whole. So they story. don't matter, <laughs> or, yeah, or something. Just because it's in young males doesn't mean anyone else can get it. Of course it does, but then they switch to say, but it's not serious. This myocarditis can be treated. But really, if you ask any physician, ask a cardiologist, right? Ask Doctor McCullough, probably the most famous cardiologist uh, in the world, one of them for sure, and he will tell you no myocarditis is always serious you know it can create scar tissue it it can give future problems and it absolutely affects longevity so why why was the narrative going in this direction rather than taking what is sort of well-established facts and and putting them out there and people who Are concerned about myocarditis. Maybe they're slightly outside of the risk. A young man. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's 31 instead of 30 because they've increased that. You know, that was the other thing they sort of said. Oh, 11 to 18, and now it's sort of up to this 29, 30. I mean, the goalposts keeps changing. But if you're 31 and you decide, you know what? I don't want to take that risk. I've already had COVID and I've survived your employer then says no you you know you're going to have to get vaxxed if you want to work here this Mm -hmm. this to me is outrageous
0: there are a lot of people i think who resist the mandates are anti-covid vaccine because they're not too worried about their own personal risk from COVID. But there are a lot of other people who uh, feel like they do want to be protected in some way. And, and so that's partly why I want to chat with you because you are a specialist in immunosuticals, but we need people to understand, I need to understand <laughs> what these are exactly. And as you say, uh, natural immunity, actually acquired immunity are such complicated nuanced things. Mm-hmm. Um, doing proactive things to enhance your own immunity is presumably also very complex. So can you tell us a little bit about what individuals can do, especially in this context of limited medical choice? It's not like you can really go to your doctor these days uh-huh. for the most part and say, I'm looking to boost my immunity and I'm not interested right. in the COVID vaccine. They're yeah. going to look at you like you're crazy, maybe refuse treat. who knows? It'll yeah. be some sort of uh, derogatory language or treatment, presumably. So what, what yeah. can people do as individuals? Okay,
1: so, yeah, so let me back up a bit because I do think everyone should have freedom of choice, right? They should look at the data if they want to get vaccinated by all means, and if they don't, by all means, mm-hmm. fair enough, right? Um, so now let's say there are going to be people, There, strangely enough, people that have long COVID, for example, and people that have certain kinds of these vaccine-associated injuries, there's some common denominators there, right? And there's good reason for that. But mm-hmm. the end result of some of this is immunosuppression, you know, fatigue, um, you know, some lingering respiratory. And just being prone maybe to other infections. And so it's like, what can you do now? What can you do to help those people? And probably the common denominator there has been spike, which has gotten into the circulation where it's not supposed to be. And you have a lot of inflammation. So there's that group that you're actually trying to bring them back, their immune system to some kind of optimal and then there are other people that just want to keep their immune system optimal. Mm-hmm. Um, now I started off and I always talk about genetics because I'm an immunogeneticist. So we should know right from the outset that not everyone is equal in their immunity to start with. And what I found and I classify individuals um, as high average or low immune responders. So there are these high immune responders they have great immune response genes, great genetics. They easily make a response and they're easily protected. These are probably the people that are exposed to COVID and we know there are some exposed to COVID. They never really get sick, Mm -hmm. but maybe it's their innate host defense has cleared it, no problem, or even a low exposure is able to kick the acquired immune system into gear. But there are these Individuals, and you probably know them, who get everything that's going around. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When I was in large classes teaching, there would be people that would get cold after cold after cold after flu after whatever, and other people sitting right next to them, right, get nothing, right? And it's like it's not fair, but it's different genetics, right? But The low immune responders, they need a lot of help. And there's a lot of help available. Mm. Uh, And then the high immune responders and average, you just want to keep everything optimal. So how are you going to do that? Um, Immunoseuticals is one way. So it's not, I think now what people have started to think is, well, there's only one solution and this is the problem. There's only one solution and it's vaccination. What am I going to do? Like, yeah. So wait a minute. There's lots and lots of solutions and there's many, many things we can do. Mm -hmm. And so um, myself and some of my colleagues, you know, we're interested in immunosuiticals. We're interested in many things, but we have this common interest in immunoceutical. So um, first I'll give you a definition. So an immunoceutical is any product that naturally enhances immune response or tunes it or modulates it in a beneficial way. Many, many products. That's an immunoceutical. So let's talk about a couple of examples. Vitamin D and I start with vitamin D because it's critically important to almost every aspect of the immune system. Vitamin D is actually a hormone. It was called a vitamin uh, originally because one of the first things that was noticed about it is it really helped with rickets. So bone development, right? And so that's kind of how it kind of got into that vitamin category but if you're an immunologist you might think of it as a cytokine which are these modulators of the immune system Mm -hmm. right and if you're an endocrinologist you're going to think of it as a hormone Mm -hmm. because they uh, uh, the body is an integrated set of systems and they talk to each other right so vitamin d is critical for immune function not just you know bone development or to prevent rickets as most people know and for that you know if if you get 400 or so international units a day that's sufficient but to get your immune system up and running you're going to need much more you know now you're getting into a thousand two thousand and now it, i think the latest recommendation is sort of four Thousand international units, but many will go as high as ten thousand international. That's
0: a very units. big jump in quantity, yes. is it not? Or
1: is it just that? Well, here's the thing: <laughs> there's a lot to still learn. So <laughs> I think the big jump came when people understood we're not just talking about rickets anymore. Mm. We're actually talking about the immune system and many other body systems. And as soon as that recognition came there was a big jump because it was understood, right? And the other big jump I think came is because we live indoors, right? We don't live outside. We're not getting all that natural exposure to sun. So supplementation became more important. Um, So as it turns out, cells of the immune system actually have receptors for vitamin D. And vitamin D is very critical because it works both on the innate host defense. Remember we talked about innate and acquired. So it works on innate host defense because it induces what are called defensins, defense molecules. And it helps those macrophages. Macrophages are cells that take up all foreign material, bacteria, viruses, and they sample them and they display them on their surface. Vitamin D makes those processes much more efficient. At the same time, later on the acquired immune response, it comes along vitamin D and helps create or upregulate regulatory T cells. Now this becomes critical because regulatory T cells are going to have, they come along later. I guess I should back up. An ideal immune response is you want it to come on strong, effective, and then you want that thing to shut off. You don't wanna keep that immune system lingering. And this is partly what's happening with long COVID and some of the vaccine injuries. So now, how are you gonna turn that off? One of the things vitamin D can help do is regulate that and you get these regulatory T cells that come in and dampen the inflammation and just tell the immune system to settle, settle down, right? So that's just one immunoceutical.
0: It it seems to me that one thing we don't hear about in healthcare much anymore uh, about is Uh, food and lifestyle choices Mm -hmm. and nutrition I I think when I was a child you were always getting these sheets about the pyramid and whether that was a good you know advice or not it seems Mm -hmm. like there was this focus on diet and nutrition and things that you take in and you're talking about vitamins and hormones but more broadly I mean those those exist in not not just bottles but in foods that we eat
1: and sunshine and sunshine (laughs) right and as it turns out it's the ultraviolet b radiation for example that actually helps you make that vitamin d and so if you don't get out into the sunshine you are going to have to take supplements uh so i think here's the other thing we talk about we need to personalize some of this information because people don't know they say well I don't know how much vitamin d to take so I think you know one of the things we want to do is sort of have a vitamin d home test kit and the first thing that comes with the kit is a little computer algorithm that you can fill out that says well how how old are you you know what latitude do you live at Are you in a northern latitude? And how far far north are you? Because you're not going to get as much sunshine if you live in Toronto versus Florida, you know? So this becomes critically important. Well, what's the color of your skin? Are you fair, medium, or dark? Because you're going to absorb vitamin D um, quite differently. What's your lifestyle? How often do you go outside and do you apply... A sunscreen. So you fill this all out and you will get a little piece of information that says this would be sort of your sufficient dose, sufficiency. Mm-hmm. And then you prick your finger and you put it on a sponge and you send that back to our lab. And then we see how much vitamin D you actually have in your blood. Now you've got your, your level mm-hmm. and you've got what your sufficiency would be. If you're lucky, what you've been doing, your (laughs) enough. (laughs) is enough. And then you go, fantastic, but maybe it's not. And then you're going to have to supplement with vitamin D. And so, you know, you can determine based on what your level is and what it should be, how much supplement you should take. But even that's not good enough. After doing that for a month, we want to come back and we want to look again at the blood. Most people don't do that. So you make the assumption that if you take this much, it actually gets into your bloodstream. But remember, we talked about genetics. That's Mm -hmm. not true for all individuals, because maybe they don't have very much of the vitamin D binding protein that takes it around or the enzymes required to convert it to 125 vitamin D, which is the active form. Mm -hmm. Now we'll see how you're doing. And maybe oh, you know what, you just need a little bit more, or maybe a different form of vitamin D. And we'll, we'll work with you until we're sure you're where you, you should be. But even that's not good enough. Because if you were tested in the summer, you better be tested again in the winter. And if you were tested in the winter, you better be tested in the summer. Now you really, you know, after having gone through that, you now really have a good idea for yourself for your body for your genetics this is what i need to do to keep that vitamin d year round sufficient or optimal for ideal immunity and it's yeah.
0: because i think a lot of people listening to you will say well that sounds like a lot of work what the government's telling me to do is one size fits all i just do this thing and then i'm done but we've got we've kind of been given a false sense of um security, for lack of a better way to put it, in terms of Mm -hmm. how our health works and how best to manage it. And it, it does take work, it does. I mean, you mentioned sure that some of us are born differentially disposed to have high, good quality, yeah. robust immune systems, but it doesn't stop there, right? As you're saying, there's lifestyle choices and For vitamins sure. you can take and your lifestyle, whether you're outside or not. And it takes a lot of knowledge. You have to know, well, where do I live and how much time do I spend out of doors and what do I eat? And yes, it's a and lot- And I think
1: of work, people, but, you know, people can figure that out, but you, you said something interesting. You said well people are going to just say I can just go and get the vaccine and that's going to settle it. Listen I've been working in this area of testing vaccines on my high average and low immune responders for quite some time and I'm going to tell you that really you're not going to necessarily get an optimal response to any vaccine if your immune system is deficient in something critical like vitamin D. is so that that run, run it off. <laughs> yeah, you can go and get your vaccine, but you may not get much of a reaction to that vaccine. I've done this kind of work in, in animal models for a long time, much of my career. And we find that, you know, a good proportion of individuals don't actually respond to the vaccine at all particularly if they're stressed, stressed Mm. in any way, right? (laughs) (laughs) And we live right now in a highly stressed society. So it's better no matter what your choice is, whether you want to get vaccinated or you don't, to have your immune system working optimally, because that's also going to dictate how you respond to vaccination.
0: So if you really are, you know, a firm believer in the quality of the COVID vaccines, you you do better if you do other
1: things to support your immune system, like take vitamin D and have a better lifestyle. And I would think so. Now, I have some issues with the RNA and DNA vaccines because they're in a completely different category um, for me as an immunogeneticist, I view them through a different lens than I do others, but definitely it won't matter. You know, you really want to keep that immune system. And we know so much more about this now than we did before. You know, there's a big interest in medicinal mushrooms. You talked about food, um, you know, in in Asia and Japan, for example, they've known about the medicinal properties of some of these, you know, mushrooms for hundreds, if not thousands of years. We're just kind of learning about that. And as it turns out, some of those mushroom extracts, like turkey tail, for example, is are well known to have anti-cancer properties. And we should be capitalizing on this mm-hmm. because often there's maybe a blended approach. So, you know, I talk about my colleague, Dr. Bridle, and one of his areas of specialty is cancer biology. And he's done some tests in his lab already with cancer cell lines and looked at some of these immunosuticals, quercetin, for example, mm-hmm. and it, has as big an impact on, on almost all of the cancer cell lines is some of the standard chemical treatments that are offered. Which so, is on
0: the COVID protocols, correct? Some of them?
1: Um, I, what, I, this is cancer I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So not, not necessarily related to COVID at all, mm-hmm. except that we do see this uptick in cancers. And so this is going to maybe now. be, no, mm-hmm. we do. Right. But I mean, he was working on these cancer treatments long before COVID came right. Mm-hmm. And seeing, you know, there are natural therapies, even there that can support maybe some of the more traditional cancer treatments or be equivalent to. So we have, a, I guess, uh, the reason I say that is these immunosuiticals can be treatment as well. Or you know they're optimizing your immune system, but if you get sick, for example, if you have a cancer, some of these uh, products, like quercetin, some the turkey tail mushroom, can be used in addition to as supportive therapy, and this may become critical and um, critically important because it's clear now that maybe it was because we were locked up for a period of time and not going to the doctor we have a resurgence of cancer but then there are people physicians cancer specialists like ryan cole who is actually seeing that uptick of cancers um, in people that got vaccinated in particular so there is going to be a need for really good treatments and you're going to want to augment everything you can to make your immune system as strong as possible. I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah. I was just going to say, as you're talking, I think it's going to take a long time and there will be a lot of resistance to people sort of coming around to this idea that we need to take more ownership of our health information and health choices.
1: And, but it's a slow, uh, it's a slow burn, isn't it? It takes well, a while. I think this has been percolating This has been percolating for some time. I mean, over the course of my career, I've seen, you know, people with more and more understanding of the immune system. Mm -hmm. And if COVID has done nothing else, it has brought the immune system front and center and given a lot of attention. When I'm out speaking, I'm really impressed, actually, with how much people have learned and how aware they are now Mm -hmm. of the need to look after themselves and what the immune system does and how they might optimize that. I so I'm kind of I'm I'm encouraged and I mean, ten years ago, um I had uh, stage three breast cancer, mm-hmm. and, you know that rocks your world in a heck of a hurry. So I don't necessarily think it is a slow burn because when somebody gets that new crisis, crisis right crisis. They start to figure out what options are available to them. And nowadays, people, you know, might have a natural path as well as a medical doctor. Um, I did, and they work together. I think I was extremely fortunate, and I would like to see more of this, where the medical doctor was working with the natural path to provide strategies that suited where I wanted to go which was for me to optimize my immune system, rather than to suppress it. I took that approach, right? And I would go to the doctor's office with this big stack of articles, right? And we'd sit down and have a conversation about it, and how that related to what I was thinking. And I think we need more. We need more of that. We don't need to pigeonhole people and say oh, if you go to a naturopath you're taboo right that's what you've chosen now your medical doctor gets angry at you no 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 let's bring that that back and i mean that's part of the thing we're hoping to do at immunosutica is just provide the research good solid evidence based research on how some of these immunosuticals work people then can take that to their physician have conversations about that we'll publish widely like we have done in the past
0: Bonnie, I thank you so much for this. I know we're running out of time. But I think what what's so important is that all of these conversations that are happening with these scientists and physicians who are offering an alternative viewpoint, what we need to remember is that it's all it's not about trying to give people some other order to follow, right? It's about trying to support the the freedom that we already have and trying to build our confidence to feel like yes we can make choices about our own health yes it will require some work and some research and trust in ourselves but it's possible and and as you're making clear the the roadmap for that is kind of being built and and that's so encouraging can you tell everybody so you have a company that focuses on immunoceuticals. And you were talking about how people can test their their vitamin D. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how people
1: can reach out to you if they're interested? Yeah, probably the best thing, because we're just starting this company. We're excited about it. Um, When you think, the company's name is Immunoceutica, Inc. um, And the website is immunoceutica.ca. People can we visit will link it. Yeah, perfect. And people can visit and find out a lot more. But when you think of immunosutica, I always say, think about RRSP. And that's not registered retirement savings <laughs> plan, although hopefully it brings you many, many benefits, right? So <laughs> the first R is for research, all the research that we're doing. The second is resources, providing education on immunaceuticals. What are they? providing opportunities for students to come and work in an immunaceutical company. And immunaceuticals are, you know, part of the big nutraceutical industry. So resources, resources for people come and learn, right? And the S is for services, so we provide services because we do a lot of immunophenotyping. One of our colleagues, Dr. Neil Caro, is an immune toxicologist, so he's going to be looking for toxins and testing and providing that kind of service and products. Then we're going to have our own products, and one of the first products we'll have is, is vitamin D. And one of the sources of vitamin D, we'll have a quite a wide range of sources, but this one was exciting to me because I didn't realize you can get vitamin D from sheep lanolin. So the wool, you know, when you touch mm-hmm. the wool of a sheep, mm-hmm. it feels kind of sticky. I was going to say soapy, but yes, I know. be oily, that's lanolin. And you make soap. You know, our grandmothers used to make soap. From lanolin, right? But as it turns out, it's also a very natural, sustainable source of vitamin D. And that will be one of the uh areas that we use to extract vitamin D. And we will have vitamin D that's a vegan source. Like so a white, because again, it's not one size fits all. So that's just an example of a product. So R R S. -S 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 please visit our website we're excited about what we're doing because we want to change now to be hopeful we want to give people hope you know this particular you know the omicron we know that it's not as serious it was highly transmissible but not as serious i could talk to you all about that another day Mm -hmm. um but we want to turn the page now Mm -hmm. And we want to give people hope. We want to be looking forward. Um, it's enough enough stress. Let's let's try and do some positive things, and that's what Immunostudica is all about.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's so encouraging, because I think a lot of people now feel that they've just been sort of beaten down, whatever it is, whether they feel like they've been, you know, manipulated unnecessarily, whether they feel like, even if they're on board with the narrative, they feel like, wow, that was quite a roller coaster, we went, whatever it is, and offering people hope and saying, you know, we're not, the human body is still an amazing thing, isn't it? And the human mind is an amazing thing. And we, we somehow lost our confidence in both of those things. And I really thank you for giving us a chance to think more about what, what, what we can do going forward. So, Bonnie, thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.